Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to the podcast, the podcast that's much better than the run support Max Scherzer is getting right now. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and I'm pretty sure even I could have had a better at bat than Sean Kelly. Joining me this week for the third time this year is one of our contributors of this year on deck, Brian Foley. How are you doing, Brian? Uh, doing well, Blake. Happy to be on. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just coming on after a series win against the Orioles, it's a bit of a weird one, and we were talking about it before we came on air. And it's it's a strange one because you would take five out of six against the Orioles, but again, with that missed opportunity on two, no Wednesday, it's kind of a bit subdued. Right, L- losing uh, any game to Baltimore is disappointing, but if you step back and look at the whole picture, going five on one against Baltimore. I mean, you'll obviously take that. Taking advantage of the of maybe the worst team in baseball, something that a lot of other uh, teams can't say that they get to play six games against them. Um, so that probably that could make a big difference uh, coming down the stretch later in the season when these six games, these five wins that they've tallied against Baltimore, Atlanta doesn't get that same advantage. Yeah, exactly. I think Atlanta they well they get the Boston for six games, I believe. Yeah, that's not as fun. <laughs> uh, did you have a player that particularly stood out for you during the series? Uh, I, I would say Rendon. Turner was was obviously the guy in game one, but Rendon, even with his two strikeouts and kind of untimely situations uh, tonight um, or in, in game three against Baltimore, uh, he still had the home run, tied the game up uh, uh, at 2-2. And then if, uh, oh, he's just, I mean, he's been racking up hits. Last five games, stretching back to before the Baltimore series, nine for 19, pair of walks, four doubles, the home run um, against Baltimore. I mean, so he's, he's kind of, and his last, he, the last couple of weeks, he's really started to turn around, become the bat that obviously the Nats were counting on all season long, one of the best third basemen in baseball. So if he's hitting, he's hitting, obviously he won't hit like this all season, but he's getting back to uh, the bat that we saw last year where a borderline MVP candidate. Um, then the Nats offense will slowly start to tick, tick up and see if the rest of his teammates can join him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I had Rendon pegged for Man of the Series. I think it was a 5-for-11 showing, one homer and then four RBI, despite, like you say, the key strikeouts tonight. And we saw one Soto step up tonight. I think he had a hit in all, all the games this series. Is he going to sit against anyone at the moment? It's... I mean, offensively, it's really when you when you watch it, it's hard to it's hard to sit him. Plus, he comes up with these timely hits that, while the rest of the team, even uh, uh, even when Soto's having an off night, he still seems that when he gets a double, when he gets that single, it's late in the game. It's with runners on. Uh, he's coming up with these clutch situations. Defensively, oh my God, he. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, Mark Zuckerman has written an article about it in the last couple of days, talking about how the Nats are trying to get him to. Uh, work less on uh, drifting out there in the outfield but even on on the last uh, out of tonight's ball game uh, uh, like a kind of a a rising line drive hit out to left field he he had to jump to catch that otherwise it would have gone over his head every fly ball every line drive that's hit in his direction really does scare me <laughs> um, it's kind of a kind of like Kyle Schwarber-esque back when he was coming up with the Cubs it's like he, he's so dynamic with the bat that you have to keep him in there but uh, defensively, you're just honestly hoping he can knock the ball down and keep it from going to the fence. Yeah, he's had a couple uh, diving plays where he's kind of caught it, caught it on the short hop rather than just waiting back. Because although it's worked for him now, 
it feels like at some point we're going to see one where he misjudges it and it goes to the wall for a triple. I feel like there might be late in the season. Uh, I feel like there could be one costly mistake that obviously he's kept them basically alive for the last month. So you take the good with the bad, but I feel like there is a costly mistake looming, but you know, he's 19. So he might take, he might still be able to take uh, some big leaps and bounds defensively, at least to where he's like average, you know? Mm. Yeah, you can put up with it if he's hitting 350. True, yes. <laughs> uh, also hitting quite highly and has been the subject of much debate on the District on Deck Twitter account is Michael Taylor, who actually extended his hitting streak to 12 games during the series, despite a couple pinch hitting appearances in the first two games to extend it. He's hitting 435 during his 12-game hitting streak, but that's kind of fueled by a Babbitt that's way over 500, and I was kind of shocked that it's that high. What do you make of Michael Taylor's playing time? I think that's been the subject of Masson wrote an article, Washington Post wrote an article. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, his BABIP is just unbelievably high. It's impossibly high. I didn't know BABIPs could go that high. It's pretty absurd. Um, but, I mean, he's hitting the ball pretty hard. Uh, he was kind of getting a little bit unlucky earlier in the season, so leveling out. He won't be hitting like this because, I mean, he's in the last like two or three weeks, he's, ra- he's raised his batting average like 60 70 points or something like that like that's pretty unsustainable uh if he levels out kind of like uh as i mean right now he's hit about 240 decent power uh like okay let's see what is it on base for the year is 308 that's pretty michael taylor-ish i mean if he can kind of hold this batting line uh around like 240 310 uh like that that's fine because he plays good defense and if he's playing four times a week uh like i mean that that's a pretty quality outfield rotation that they have um and it gives him and he's he's proven to be able to hit as a pinch hitter off the bench which is definitely a nice thing for martinez to have because we've seen pinch hitting not easy yeah especially with someone who's got a the power that taylor has who could hit 20 25 home runs if he plays every game but also having that speed if he does get a base hit you can start changing the game as a pinch hitter so having someone like that as a good bench back because the Nats have generally had some people who have been good as a starter and haven't quite pinch hit well, looking at Wilma Defoe mainly. Yeah, Defoe is the uh, biggest example there. But, I mean, with Taylor's speed, uh, he can come and change the game like as a pinch runner off the bench. Uh, defensively, we know what he can do as a late-game replacement for either Soto or maybe Eaton or something like even Harper. Uh, I mean, they're not replacing him, but he has his own defensive issues. Uh, and then, like, if you need a home run, uh, we saw last year in the NLDS, he had uh, two of the biggest home runs in that series. Um, so he can come in and give you the pop. So he definitely has th- the skills, whether he puts them all together enough to be a full-time starter, that's kind of the issue. But he has the skills there. And he's showing them right now over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, I think he is going to play against lefties. I think he still rakes against lefties. He's hitting about 280, I uh, guess. Um, but there was also an interesting note that, I think it was Byron Kerr actually mentioned that David Martinez has considered playing Michael Taylor in the infield, believe it or not. <laughs> what, what do you make of that? I, I did not see that. Uh, <laughs> like playing at, at second base, at first base? I, I, I would guess at second <laughs> base, but he's a former shortstop. So there's. Is he really? I didn't know that. Right um, well, that would be interesting. The th- he's not like that good of a hitter though even <laughs> so it's where like you want to be uh trying him out at second base so uh 
Uh, I mean, I'd be curious to see that. I was excited when like the Blue Jays played Russell Martin at shortstop a couple weeks ago. Like that's kind of the fun stuff that gets me interested. But I don't really. I'm not as big of a fan of it in a pennant race. So uh, we'll see. If Russell Martin can play shortstop, Taylor definitely can. <laughs> yeah, that's probably uh, true. The other half of that debate around playing time was Bryce Harper. Obviously, struggled in the first two games, went hitless, but. Tonight, he looked a hell of a lot better. Went one for one with two walks and a sack fly. And on the base hit, we've seen so many of these times where he's ripped a really hard hit ball down the first baseline. And then someone like Freddie Freeman, I think it's been Freddie Freeman about five times on scorching line drives like that, snag it. But this one actually made it to the right field wall. So did you see a lot of improvement in Harper tonight? Well, I mean, it's just one game uh, and it was against Baltimore, but this is like when, when Harper, I love the Harper games when he goes like one for one with a couple walks or three walks and a sack fly or something like that. It just like, cause I mean, that, that's kind of showing what he can do. He's so patient up there. Uh, when he's going well, he can put his batter in any ball, but he doesn't, uh, doesn't always need to when he's has like su- such a good eye. So I, I enjoy when he kind of has these like kind of uh, fun little stat lines. Um, he has been swinging a missing swinging and missing a ton. So it's good to see him uh, uh, be able to like uh, at least not strike out uh, strike out in the game. Um, we'll see if the leadoff spot because that kind of there was a thing earlier in the year when they moved him in the leadoff spot for a bit where he was uh, rocking it like kind of like rejuvenated him for a bit there. Um, we'll see if it can do that again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the walks, the key thing was I think over those two walks he took nine and seven pitches, so he was foul- fouling a few balls off and. Looked like he was locked in, especially on a tough couple pitches to take four, ball four as well. Yeah, I mean he's got a great eye. Um, that, that's never been an issue. Uh, and and he's and for this team, there's enough uh, hitters behind him that if they did for some reason keep him in the leadoff spot, that uh, there's enough guys behind him: Turner, Rendon, Soto, Murphy, maybe. Um, where it, you definitely have enough like hitting options. So. Yeah, I think in the leadoff spot, he's not killing rallies like he was in the number four spot right he's either getting on base to help the rally or he's just getting out and it'll be like the first out in the inning and right now uh taylor and defoe are hitting hitting decently um and so they're kind of at least able to turn the lineup over so harper's actually still at least tonight he was a couple opportunities where he's coming up uh with runners on base so hmm. uh obviously we haven't talked about it on the dog cast yet but kelvin herrera was acquired from the royals on monday the Nats gave up Kelvin Gutierrez, Blake Perkins, and then Johans Morel, who I still haven't heard of until now. Um, <laughs> but so far in Herrera's Nationals career, he's six up, six down, no strikeouts. But how big of an addition is this going to be going forward to lock that really lock down that eight inning role? Uh, I, I really like the move. Um, the I was not as high on the law firm as. Uh, even last year, but especially this year, uh, Doolittle obviously has been great. Madsen has uh, been iffy. Kinsler has been – maybe he was pitching hurt earlier in the season. He was not as effective. Um, he still had his moments. Uh, and so depending on how injured Kinsler is, uh, I think this is good. This is at least good insurance, but I definitely think it's like Herrera is uh, a much better option for the seventh, eighth inning in front of Doolittle for the high leverage spots than either Kinsler or Madsen. So to be able to bump everyone else down a spot, uh, definitely a plus and, uh, and did not give up anyone 
really of note. I mean, there's definitely a potential that uh, Gutierrez or Perkins could turn into something. The other, what's the other kid's name? He's like 17 or something like that, right? Yeah, um, he's a. I think he's a right-hander who had one appearance for the Nets Dominican League team. Yeah, so uh, I like the, the, there's nothing really like at least immediately that they gave up, and so this is kind of also it's kind of an all-in season. So yeah, I think the the package is definitely what I would have expected for Herrera. I've talked about it before internally. I was getting ready to publish this article on who the Nets should target in the relief market. Kelvin Herrera, number one. And I think I did have Kelvin Gutierrez as one of the pieces. I didn't get Perkins right. But Gutierrez is kind of a player who's going to turn out to be probably an average major league third baseman. He's got a good hit tool, but uh, the power's only just coming along. And then Blake Perkins is a very raw center fielder who um, he's got the speed. He's not going to hit for any power. I think he's got like one career minor league home run maybe. So... They're not giving in. They're not giving up anyone who's going to massively make them regret the trade unless Herrera completely blows up. Right, and and Herrera, he he won't. Well, I mean, maybe he will. He's been looked great so far for the Nationals. He won't pitch as well as he did for Kansas City. He's not going to have a one ERA as far as I would imagine. But I doubt he's going to. He's not going to absolutely blow up and have an ERA above four either. So he should at least, at the very least, be a solid option. I think he'll be a very good option. Yeah, and I think. One part that's gone underrated in this whole thing is that he's got that World Series experience. I think he was in the the eighth inning when the Royals went to back-to-back World Series. So he's definitely going to be an experienced head in that bullpen for, I don't think any of them have gone to the World Series other than him and Collins. Or did Madsen go with Kansas City as well? Uh, yeah, he might have actually been on that Kansas City, Kansas City team too. Um and if so, they, man, there are a lot of Royals relievers on this squad. <laughs> uh, and I guess that was also the team that beat Murphy's Mets. So uh, kind of bringing that 2016, is that, is that the World Series? 15, uh, 15 2015. Um, uh, bringing that to a DC. So we'll see if it works. But uh, I've liked all the moves thus, thus far. Yeah, definitely. So looking ahead to the upcoming series with the Phillies, we get our second look at them. So far in 2018, they're 39 and 33, and that's moved half a game ahead of them with the win tonight. And one of the weird stats that I noticed is they've got the lowest road batting average in all of baseball with a 222 average. So obviously they're hitting well at Citizens Bank, but elsewhere it's a bit iffy. Uh, in their last series against the Cardinals, they won the series and they were all one-run games. On Monday, they won 6-5 to five on an Aaron Altair walk-off. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez gave up the lead in the ninth to lose on Tuesday. And then Adubal Herrera, who's been scorching hot lately, hit the home run to give the Phillies a 4-3 win. So is Herrera a player that you're watching out for? I've kind of led you into that a bit. <laughs> oh, I mean, he, he's been a great player for them this season. Uh, their most consistent player. Um, he's been their most consistent player for several years now. Uh, the Nationals can... And shut him down. Then the, at the top of the order, then they will have a much a, a good shot in this series to to take two of three. Um, easier said than done, obviously. Uh, and and obviously, and, and he's he's playing well recently. So I'm not going to make any predictions on if they'll be able to shut down Herrera. But I would just say it is wise for them to do so. That is my bold take. <laughs> wise to shut down the team's best here. That's yes. uh, that's Hopefully. going out on a limb there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
one of their other decent hitters is Reese Hoskins, who's actually hitting really well. So Herrera's hit a home run in four straight games, and then Reese Hoskins is hitting 400 over the last seven days with three home runs and seven RBIs. See another name that's circled on the lineup card? Obviously, I mean, obviously he's probably like the guy to watch. He's uh, um, came out uh, so strong as a rookie last last season. Did not start as well this year. Uh, got hurt for a little bit. Come back, guns a blazing. So. That's a nice little young pairing that they have, Herrera and Hoskins. Some of the other young guys haven't quite played as well for Philadelphia, but they at least have the potential to. But Herrera and Hoskins uh, um, are the, their two uh, uh, keystone position players. Uh, and that, that will be kind of testing the NL East for years to come. Hmm. Is there any other hitter that maybe is going a little bit under the radar for the Phillies who you're interested in seeing? Uh, I mean, I'll stick with the... The H's on their team, Cesar Hernandez. He's he's uh I mean, he's a solid player. Definitely a guy who can uh, uh like uh, uh t- turn turn a uh, turn a game behind Hoskins Hoskins and Herrera. So he's another name to watch. He's been a a quality player for a quality player for a couple of years for them. Hmm. I think one name that I'm going to have my eye on, and we'll probably talk about him in a little bit, is Aaron Nola, who's actually. Ninth in baseball in wins above replacement. Just, uh, I think he was 0.1 behind Scherzer. Entering tonight, Scherzer might have increased that lead a little bit. But so far, he's been pretty lights out on the season. 255 ERA, whip around one. And his fifth is also below three as well. And he's finally turning the ace that Philadelphia had hoped he would be. I remember in the first year or two, he looked kind of like a number three, number two kind of pitcher. But do you think he can be their their ace moving forward with the new generation? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Nola has really turned turned a corner this season, as you said. Kind of had his moments in his first few few years. Never really could put it together for like a full full season, full like a long stretch there. Um, but he, he's been quite good this year, uh, and he's probably one of the I don't know two or three or four uh, best like under twenty five pitchers in baseball. I mean. He's been that good. Uh, he's a really tough lefty, uh, decent strikeout rate, and he's a really good walk rate, under three on the year. Doesn't allow too many home runs. He's coming off his worst outing of, of the season against Milwaukee, um, but uh, I don't expect that to, uh, to to last. So he will be a, a tough, a tough uh, matchup for the Nationals in this series. They fared okay against him. Uh, in uh in in past past outings past years uh nola has a 4.5 era in 10 10 previous starts against washington a lot of starts against the nats um so if they can keep if they can keep that up but this is definitely clearly a, a different nola than than they're they've seen in the past couple of seasons yeah absolutely is there anything that you're interested to see from a nats perspective uh i mean just offensively who who can anybody consistently put up a a good not, not even a good uh, a good month a good week? Can someone put string a few games together? Rendon has done it recently. Turner has had these stop and start kind of games. These performances we saw the four hit game against Baltimore in the first game of that series, and he's done that several times this year. But then he'll come back with a one for four, an zero for four. We saw a couple games before a couple weeks ago the zero for seven. Um, so can he kind of put together a couple games in a row where he's getting just uh, multiple hits and finally pushing through, breaking and breaking into what we, we've seen uh, as a hitter in the past? 
defensively, he's been pretty decent this year. He can obviously steal some bases, so he gives you some other things when he's not hitting. But he has he has the talent to be a special bat, and we haven't seen it really consistently. So uh, it'd be a good time for him to to really put that on display against the Phillies. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I'm interested in is again the Nets seem to be facing a whole wave of right-handed pitchers and. I wonder if we're going to see Daniel Murphy back at first base for two, maybe all three games. He's been putting it, putting in a few bare at bats lately after the kind of shaking the rust off against the Yankees and Blue Jays. And Mark Reynolds is mired in an 0 for 18 run, I think now. Um, so would you like to see Murphy playing at first base moving forward at the very least until Zimmerman's back? Yeah. Uh, and as, as your point about Reynolds, um, I think I saw a Zuckerman tweet. Uh, he's like three for his last 41 or 42 or something at this point. Um, so that obviously that hot start was not what, uh, not what was, was to come. He was on the scrap heap for a reason. Uh, so Murphy definitely will have some opportunities at first base, but he, I don't know. He does not look healthy. I mean, like rust is one thing, but he, I don't really, he doesn't really look capable of moving. Um, and I, and Martinez says he wants to move him to second base soon. Uh, and start playing him there more regularly. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice that there, I guess, a spot is opening up with Adams Hurd and Reynolds struggling at first base for the time being because I don't really know like how much value he can uh, provide with his bat to outweigh what would probably be a like, nightmarish defense. So I guess like that's kind of like another thing I want to see, Murphy playing at first base and then also eventually showing just some signs of even on the base paths uh, and – in, in some capacity, just being able to run more fluidly because he looks rough out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think him playing second base would be like he was a below average defensive second baseman before. He could be potentially one of the worst in the league if he starts playing there with this weird gimp that he's got. Whereas at first base, at the very least, he can be average. I think before the injury, when he was playing there, he actually had positive defensive runs saved at first base. So if he can provide average first base, that's all you pretty much ask for from your first base. And then the bat probably does start to outweigh all the rest of the stuff, um, given what he's putting in lately. Right. I mean, first base, I mean, Reynolds and Adams aren't like, it's not like they're like whiz defenders over there. So um, like, you're, it's not like you're losing like a ton by putting Murphy there. He, he should be totally acceptable. Uh, but second base, that seems like a stretch, but it's, it's going to be interesting if the nationals ever get healthy uh what kind of what the the breakdown in playing time is but well i guess martinez will cross that bridge when when they get there start playing michael taylor at second base <laughs> yeah, um <laughs> and one other point that i want to touch on is justin miller he's actually given up runs in his last three appearances now um i think a couple have been off home runs as well which was particularly bizarre given he'd only given up two hits before going to toronto and the canadians broke him do you think he can return to the dominant arm that he was before? Uh, I mean, he looked really good for that stretch there. Um, obviously, I guess most people do when they're not giving up any runs. But he he was not. A, it wasn't like as you said, he wasn't getting lucky. He wasn't even giving up hits. Um, so I think he can definitely be a, a good pitcher for them. He's not going to be the unstoppable force that he was for a few weeks there. It's kind of it's kind of hard for me to like really count on him for for like a ton. It kind of feels like we might have. Uh, this just might be gravy at this point because there was a reason he was available. If if people thought he could be a 
lockdown, late-inning reliever he wouldn't have been. Everyone's always desperate for relief. But uh, for now, uh, I mean, I, I think that the Nationals can afford to keep riding him for, for a little bit. Well, yeah, at the very least, I think you get a serviceable middle reliever. And we did see against the Braves when he went three innings, three perfect innings for that matter as well, where he can give you a bit of length. And if you're getting some of that out of even your back-end guys, then you're doing pretty well. And I think I think the story was that Mike Rizzo went to go watch him work out and then sign him to a contract immediately before he could go and work out for anyone else. Because uh, I wrote about this a week ago now, I think. Um, and he's actually changed his delivery. I'm not going to demo it on camera because no one <laughs> else will be able to see that. But he's gone for he's gone from standing very straight and square to the plate to his front leg being much more towards third base and having a crossfire action. And some of the hitters were saying when they were facing him in live BP, you just don't see the ball until the last minute. And I think that's the key mechanical change for him. So I think he can bounce back. Whether he will immediately is another matter. We need to kind of work through that. And I guess that's where the Herrera edition comes in key as well. I mean, you can tell, uh, speaking to like that crossfire action on Miller's fastball, you can, cause he doesn't throw like, especially hard. Like he has a decent fastball. Um, but he, like these hitters are late on it for kind of no reason. It, it's not like it's moving a ton. It's not like it's, it's coming in there at Chapman a hundred miles an hour. Uh, but it, like, they're just not picking it up until really late. So if that's a trend that holds, if, uh, th- that, that's obviously a great sign because throw a little deception, kind of throw a little funky delivery um into the pen kind of mix things up that's obviously a nice little trait to have yeah absolutely so now we're going to look ahead to each of the matchups individually first off on friday at 705 we've got zach efflin against tanaroa tanaroa three and seven with a 387 era zach efflin four and two with a 343 era what are you looking out for in this matchup uh, on the Nats side, I mean, Eflin's been a, a pretty solid pitcher. He's having a, a great run right now. Uh, last three starts, so ERA under two, pitching quite well um, this season. Uh, Roark from the Nats side, looking, uh, can he keep the home runs down? Uh, he's kind of waffled back and forth throughout his Nats career. Good season, bad season, good season, bad season. Uh, right now, he's kind of having a middling season, um, just a, a decent kind of pitcher. Uh, but really when he's pitching well, it's because he had, he's limited the home runs in his good seasons, uh, at least ERA wise, 2014, 2016, very good home run rates, like top, top 10 ish in the national league when he's hasn't been, uh, uh, when he hasn't been pitching well, home run rates has skyrocketed up to like bottom 10 in the national league this year does not, once again, does not have a a great home run rate allowing, uh, I think a little over 1.2 home runs per nine. Uh, yes, 1.22 home runs per nine, which is 19th worst in the National League. Um, so basically, when, when, he, when he's going, uh, can he limit the home runs? If so, that means it's probably going to be a good outing. If not, we'll have to see if the offense can pick him up. And recently, that has not been the case. So Yeah, I think you can tell that by the 3-7 and seven record that he's right. got. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you say, home runs. He's given up a home run in each of the last four appearances he's made and that's a 587 ERA in the last five so it's definitely been trending that way and I don't think his loss total has crept up all that much in that time somehow the offense has bailed him out but not enough to get a win um but I want to touch on Eflin who's actually been pitching really well he's got a fit that's around about three and it's fueled by a career high in strikeouts per nine he's 
striking out a batter an inning. And previously, he was only getting about five strikeouts per nine. So I think it could be quite a tough matchup for the Nationals. And one of the Nationals' like best offensive traits, even when they're not going that well, is they're usually drawing a lot of walks, one of the best, uh, most, most patient teams in the National League. Um, but Eflin's thing, I, I mean, you pointed out the, his improved strikeout rate. Uh, he's always had, has pretty, has had pretty pinpoint control. Um, so if that's, so he's going to actually have to make the national swing the bat, uh, that remains to be seen if they can actually do that. So that this will be a, a good test. And I mean, uh, this series, like this kind of with like Nola going game two, uh, this is not like Scherzer, Strasburg, Geo aren't pitching this series. Um, this is kind of going to have to be a, a game. The nationals might have to see if they can steal. Uh, and so, which means Roark is going to have to, uh, uh, r- really p- put on his pitching shoes and, <laughs> and and go out there and, and limit limit the damage. I don't know who pitches with their shoes. That's definitely <laughs> one. Uh, but yeah, I think if I had to lean one way, I'd probably go with the Phillies in this one. But I think this is going to be the swing game. I think some of the other matchups kind of lend to the Phillies and then the Nationals potentially in the last one. So it's going to be a key game with two of their two of the teams middling starters. That how you see this one going? Yes, uh, I, I'm, I'm. I think I'm going to give the edge to the Phillies. I, I just don't trust the Nationals offensively or not, offensively right now. In a Roark, even though he's his 3.87 ERA, like kind of looks fine and looks very Roarky. Um, his FIP is like is worse than last year. He's been pitched pretty poorly over his last several starts, as you said. Uh, so I, I don't really give a put a, a ton of confidence into his performance right now either. So. I'll, t- I'll tip this one in Philadelphia's favor. Hmm. So second up, we've got Aaron Nola against Eric Fetty on Saturday at 4.05 p.m. Eastern. Eric Fetty 0-2 with a 5.63 ERA. Aaron Nola, as we talked about before, 8-2 with a 2.55 ERA. So it feels a bit weird to be on this side of the potentially <laughs> lopsided matchup with all the times we've been on the podcast and talked about Max Scherzer against someone else that the other team's thrown out. So... Is this going to be a very lopsided game? Do you think? Uh, I don't think very lopsided. I obviously we talked about how how good it, how how good Nola's been uh, this season. Um, one of the best young pitchers in baseball, really coming on. Uh, probably, uh, and he's going to be an all star this year. Um, Fetty, uh, his numbers don't look great. He hasn't gone very deep into games, but I really I haven't hated what I've seen. He's kind of he's he's definitely had some like solid mini stretches during these games. I think. He's he's shown good fight. He's I mean he's faced the Yankees twice in the last back to back starts. So that's no no easy uh, feat either. And he's he's at the very least he's uh, like kind of kept him in the game where he's going five five innings, five and a third innings, giving or uh, giving up three runs, four runs. So not good. I'm I'm not saying he's like it's been good, but I'm saying that there have been positive signs that don't make me think that he's going to get absolutely embarrassed out there, which is kind of what was happening when he was on the mound last year. Yeah, we, we talked about it with Paul Mancano on Sunday, and I don't think any minor league coming up to the bigs has had worse luck with teams to face than Eric Fetty. When he came up last year, he faced the Rockies, the Cubs, and now he's had to face the Yankees twice this year. We're scoring the most runs per game in the majors. So even though the Phillies are no mugs with the bat, it's kind of, it's kind of a relief compared to the Yankees. Right, so uh, catching a little bit of a break there, at least in his eyes. Though the Phillies are still like a, a solid team, and I, I, I liked. I, I know you're a big Fetty fan. 
Um, I've, I've liked the, vo the velocity seems like legit this season. So I've liked that. Yeah. He's uh, that velocity is back where it was up to in the minors. It was the, it was the weird bullpen experiment that really dropped it last year. And like you say, I'm a huge Fetty fan. I don't think anyone will talk me off that hype train. Um, but I think so far it's been a, a strange issue with the home runs. He's allowing 2.34 home runs per nine innings in his major league career. But throughout his minors, he was allowing 0.5 home runs per nine. So it's a bit bizarre. And obviously, you would expect that to step up with some of the major league power. But to be four times as high is probably not what you'd expect. So if he can bring that down, that ERA starts to come down because teams aren't hitting multi-run home runs against him. And like I say, I don't think he is going to be embarrassed, but it's a tough ask going up against Aaron Nola. Right. And you, you point out the home runs, and he's given up eight home runs and 31 career innings. So, I mean, that's pretty awful. Uh, but and, and that's kind of the difference between being a fringe major leaguer and then like kind of like the mid-rotation starter. Uh, it's, it's like if you can limit those big innings, because he's had, he's had several times, like he'll go five and a third and give up uh, and, and five and a third innings and have three shutdown innings, and he might give up one run in, in the fourth inning. Like, can he limit like that three-run home run in the in the fifth inning, which is what makes uh, which kind of is what what keeps the game from from uh, from being a, a good start, a good performance. So I mean that's kind of what he has to work on limiting like the, the big innings, the, the big uh, hits, the big kind of like crash innings where he just loses it. Um, and that's kind of what he has to work on going forward. He'll have that opportunity um, for like the for the foreseeable future with I don't know with Strasburg kind of still not that close to coming back so yeah I think Strasburg's still quite a way away Helixson's working his way back but you'd expect him to come in over Rodriguez who we'll talk about in a bit because he's starting on Sunday but Betty definitely has a chance and I remember you wrote an article about this um probably about three weeks ago now about how Fetty's performance this year is going to determine what the Nationals do in the offseason with the likes of Gio Gonzalez, a free agent. Right. Uh, and so if he kind of performs and he hasn't shown it this year, but say he finishes with, uh, I don't know, like a 4.2 ERA, um, like I could see the Nationals saying, like, that's good enough for us as we've already invested a ton of money in our starting rotation with Strasburg and Scherzer. Let's not try and sign a over like kind of on the back end of back end of his career, even though he's still been pitching well, Gio Gonzalez. Um, and let's see if we can ride with Fetty. Uh, and they actually, I mean, they, they might still be doing that anyways, but like even if they could still re-sign Gio, um, have Roark and then Fetty's that fit starter. So uh, they kind of like whether they go out and get a free agent, that kind of like Fetty's performance, if he can show some promise that that kind of uh, will uh, affect what Rizzo is doing this offseason because I'm I'm sure he'll he's looking to not spend a ton of money because he's got a lot of financial issues with Harper or Rendon extension uh, other issues with uh, fixing the bullpen so yeah so I think for the first time this season I might pick a national series loss I think I picked splits before but I'm going with a a series loss and I'm going to take the Phillies in this one yeah me too this is like this is my third time on the podcast uh, this will be the first time I'll, I'll pick a a Nats series loss as well. So uh, I'm, I'm taking Nola. He's, 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 he's a stud Fetty. We talked him up a little bit. He does not quite reach stud status. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll take Philadelphia. Hmm. And then the wrap up the series on Sunday night at AOM 
8.08 p.m. Eastern. We've got the marquee matchup, Nick Pavetta v. Jeffrey Rodriguez. Jeffrey Rodriguez, 0-0 with a 4.66 ERA. Nick Pavetta with a 4-6 record and 4.08 ERA. And obviously, we say it enough times, Nick Pavetta's the guy that the Nats gave up to acquire Jonathan Papelbon, and we'll move on from that trade. But the Nats actually rocked Pavetta in his last start in May over one-plus innings. He gave up five hits, three walks, and six earned. But on the whole, he's actually been a serviceable starter for the Phillies so far this year. Yeah, Pavetta's been good. Um, it's just, like a sol- just a very solid pitcher. Uh, I mean, the, the Nats got the better of him earlier in the year. But I, he's definitely a guy who can hold down. Like He's kind of a little bit rowarky. He doesn't pitch the same way. His numbers aren't the same. But a guy who is going to end up giving you six six and two-thirds innings, three runs pretty consistently, one way or another, um, and keeps your team in the game. Uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez, he does not do that, really. Uh, <laughs> so I don't feel good about this about this game either for the Nationals. Uh, I, I'm going to need you to try and talk me into a, a reason that the Nationals are going to win this game. <laughs> I'm actually picking this one as a Nationals win. I think I've been impressed with Rodriguez's raw stuff, especially we saw it against the Braves when he came in after a third of an inning for Helix, and then he's got plus fastball, plus curveball. It's just about working in that third pitch to be a true major league starter. And Byron Kerr of Masson said he's definitely going to be trying to work in that changeup that's um, drawn good reviews from the coaching staff lately. So. If he can start doing that, get some off-balance hitters and go five good innings, one run, two runs, keep the team in the game, hopefully they can get to Pavetta like they did last time. So, like I said, I'm going with a Nats win, perhaps ill-advised. But, yeah, the raw stuff from Jeffrey Rodriguez has been pretty impressive for someone who's still not pitched at AAA yet. And picking this series is just just a nightmare task Um, because you you look, I mean, and – Usually you can pencil in a, like a, an automatic win, at least on paper with Scherzer and Strasburgs, oftentimes even Geo. But when you're going Roark, Fetty, Jeffrey Rodriguez, it really is like w- which offense is going to come to play that day? Is Roark going to be good Roark, bad Roark, Fetty? I mean, you know, you never have anything to do with him. Can Jeffrey Rodriguez work in this uh, missing third pitch? So uh, it doesn't look great on paper, but obviously – Baseball not played on paper, and I've been terrible with my predictions all season long about the Nationals. So <laughs> picking a Philly sweep seems seems like how it would play out if the Nationals can't steal that first game. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to claim to know. So Yeah, it's, it's definitely a tricky one. I think the only one that's seemingly um, kind of heavily weighted in one team is the middle game, and the other two are very um, nip and tuck in terms of picking a game. Right. I mean, Philadelphia, like even though Zach Eflin and Pavetta have been like fine this year, I don't know if they're like coming into this series saying like, oh man, we've got this one on lockdown. So, uh, I mean, and, and I mean, obviously a huge series for the, for both teams, but Nationals especially uh, trying to get back in t- to in a little closer to first place where they're three games out right now. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a key one because then we go to Philadelphia next weekend. So, these are the types of games that the Nationals need to play just above 500 in. So kind of come out, come out of these six games, three and three, four and two, maybe. Because um, I think they've been, they've been putting away some of the poorer teams. I, I looked it up yesterday. They're about 20, what, no, 24 and 14. I, 
I had the stat yesterday and now I've lost it. Um, but they've been putting away those teams and kind of middling against the rest, which has kind of left them just above 500. I mean, and that's kind of been uh, an effective strategy the last two years against the NL East because it's been so poor. Now that uh, the Phillies and Braves are actually real teams, uh, definitely becomes a, a much harder task to just kind of go, just go even against the good teams and crush trust the the poor teams when you play play fewer of them. So we need to get the Marlins play them about fifty times a year. Um, <laughs> Not a bad strategy. <laughs> we did have one listener question, and can Juan Soto realistically be an All Star? Uh, like this year or ever yeah, this year? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> you thought about it. <laughs> I mean, realist. I, I think I don't know. I would say I would say my first instinct is no, just because, just because it just doesn't feel right. But also, <laughs> he's hitting like three twenty and he's crushing the ball. Uh, and he's been the talk of baseball, and he's been maybe the best rookie offensively this season, even with uh, like the emergence of guys like Albies and stuff like that. So, on on second thought, like I could see it. What what is the uh, what is the that, national the National League outfield situation? I think the thing that's working against him is he's not on the All Star ballot, so he would have to get in as a coach's selection, and especially in somewhere like the outfield, it's where you'd put a player who would be on a struggling team. So someone like the Marlins, maybe the Reds, they, they get one of these um, other players in just to give them a representative. So I think that's the thing that's working against him. Right. I mean, yeah, I know, I guess he's not on the all-star ballot and he, he wouldn't have gotten voted in any way. I don't think. And I guess, especially when you're trying to be a coach's pick, they're probably not inclined to pick a rookie anyways. So uh, I don't know, just kind of like the, the, the typical baseball bias, but I mean, Guys who are uh, like like the 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 NL outfield doesn't strike off the top of my head doesn't strike me as super deep mm. um, this season. Oh, that's last year's stats. I mean, um, Harper is Harper's one of the leading vote getters, and he's hitting two ten. So <laughs> is he hitting two ten? I never knew. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of on a spin-off question: Do you think he could win Rookie of the Year in the NL? I think that's a much more realistic question. Uh, I think if it would help if the Nationals top the Braves can kind of come back and catch Atlanta, uh, it would be kind of like a, a, uh, Albies versus Soto in that in that sense, and maybe whoever ends up whichever team ends up winning the division gets like kind of the uh, the award tipped in their favor. But I definitely think it's a realistic possibility. Uh, defensive warts and all, I, I think he's so good with the bat, and he's he's I don't know, he's been one of the, the most exciting players uh, in baseball, rookie or not. Um, so I definitely think that's a possibility. Yeah, I think with rookie of the year, I think his main competition is going to be Acuna and Walker Bueller from the Dodgers. I think Bueller's injured, though. Um, but yeah, Ozzy Albies was a rookie last year, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot. He played enough games last year. Yeah, uh, so it, yeah it'll be Acuna and Bueller. Um, is, is, Acuna, yeah. is Acuna back yet for Atlanta after that? Uh, I think he is, yeah. Okay, so there might be even the comparable in like the, the amount of games they play after because Acuna started season late, had that injury. Yeah, I think I would, obviously, I think the, the plate approach is probably going to help Soto stay consistent, whereas Acuna is going to hit for more power, but he's going to be prone to streaks with the strikeouts. For sure, yeah. 
Uh, I think that wraps us up for this week. Thanks again, uh, Brian, for joining me today. And where can our listeners find you? Uh, hopefully every every week on District on Deck with an article and then on Twitter at Brian D. Foley. And you're going to be doing some busting bracket stuff with the NBA draft? Uh, yes, I am supposed to be writing an article on who the Wizards picked uh, uh, Troy Brown out of Oregon. So hopefully I will be writing that either tonight or tomorrow morning um, and getting that up on their site too. Yeah, that... Um... I thought that was the the main character from High School Musical, but I've been told that's Troy Bolton. <laughs> Troy Bolton. I, I would I would have liked that pick much more. So. <laughs> uh, remember to check out some of our content on site this week. Ryan, as we mentioned earlier, Rizzo is betting on some offensive improvement after the Herrera trade. I don't know if you want to give the listeners a little tease of that. Uh, so I, I just kind of broke down uh, how Herrera, Herrera although. Uh, Rizzo didn't give up the farm for him. He did give up a couple of secondary pieces, which would have been key in for getting a JT Real Muto deal done. And so now that it seems unlikely that they're going after Real Muto, uh, it kind of uh, is a sign that Rizzo is betting on the current stars in his offense to to get it going and r- really carry this team down the stretch. Yeah. And then I took a look at the Nats trade options at catcher. I did include Real Muto in there, even though it's not overly likely, but there's some other interesting names in there that um, hopefully Rizzo will take a look at with obviously catcher being a big black hole in the offense. Remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. Follow us on Spreaker, subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, and you can get episodes automatically downloaded for you. We'll return after Sunday Night Baseball as the Nats and Rays square off again, and I look forward to the Nats running up the score again so we can see Sergio Romo shouting at someone for no good reason. We'll see you then.